Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Morning, church. So grateful uh, just to come together and worship today. I appreciate uh, Jack and, and just his uh, encouragement to, uh, to us. And uh, we would just say that it is a, a, a privilege and a great honor um, to pastor uh, a people uh, that love the Lord and love one another and put that love in action. And I'm in awe that God would allow me and use me to do uh, anything. And that last song declares so well. Uh, that it is only through Christ in us, right? Because the reality is that your shepherd is a sheep, right? And needs and is dependent on Jesus for every uh, breath. And so we are so grateful. I thank God for just an incredible staff that he has assembled and the way that they uh, serve together and the way God uses. Uh, Jack tried to kind of engage some of the different things that uh, that our team does. and But it's just incredible how God uh, knits people together in the way that uh, we serve in just a, just an incredible blessing. So I thank God for uh, each of them. I thank God for you. We are in the midst of a sermon series called Thriving in the Wild, and we're walking through a chapter at a time through the book of Jonah. So if you want to take uh, your copy of God's Word, we're in Jonah chapter 3 today. Uh, and before we get started, I, I want to see maybe some hands out there. If you have either a sibling that is close to your age or... If you're a parent of some siblings that are kind of in a similar age, and you ever have these moments where they uh, have maybe a little fight, um, <laughs> yeah, I see, I see some hands going up, right? Praise the Lord, right? Is that what you have? So I see some hands out there. Uh, you know, my, my family, I, I was the oldest, and so my siblings were younger than me. I was like 12 years older than my sister and 16 years older than my brother. And so they would fight a little bit, but I was kind of past that. But then all of a sudden I had kids and like, as they're growing up, like, like I'm amazed. And there's one thing that can get to a parent pretty quick, right? Is when the kids are, are fighting. And, and I know that probably, you know, never happens. Uh, and yeah, we, we see that happen, right? And I can remember some of those times that as a parent, you just get aggravated in that moment, right? Because somehow that gets under your skin, you know, pretty easy. And, and I, I saw a little picture that I thought was kind of cute of these kids. And this is somehow, you know, it's like you need to look at each other. And we, we try to get our kids to uh, maybe make up, you know, and sometimes there's kind of this forced thought. Now, now for us, for, for our kids, it was generally in the next picture, which is a place that we would see them. Now, we would look in the, in the rear view, and they're younger, like now they're, they're it's rare, like, when that happens. Right? But when they were younger, you could kind of look in the rearview mirror, and you would see one uh, pointing up to the sky, right, or kind of looking like nothing was going on, and the other one just losing their mind, right? And, and in that moment, you probably knew that the one that was acting all innocent caused it, right? But the other one had, had uh, reacted pretty strong or were those kind of things. And then as a dad, sometimes I would respond, and, and from what I read, this is really not good parenting, so I'm not suggesting that you do this, like this is not, you know, advice for that. But what I would do sometimes is I would look at them and I would say, okay, you guys want to pick at each other? You, that? you can hold hands for the rest of the ride. Yeah, we got eight hours left. Just hold hands. And they would love that. And they would look at each other and, you know, just 
not be so happy. And then sometimes I would look at them and I would say, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to look at each other. And now right now I want you to say what? Say you're? And they would look at each other and they would say, I'm sorry. (laughs) Right? Some of y'all have heard that. And, And what we realize is that they didn't mean that for nothing, right? They, they were like still mad. They're still in that kind of dynamic. And that this forced apology wasn't really worth a whole lot. And so today as we walk through Jonah chapter 3, the title of this message is Say You're Sorry and Mean It. As we open up God's Word uh, to Jonah chapter 3, Let's jump in uh, together. Beginning in verse 1, Scripture says this. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And I'm so grateful this morning that we have a God, that we serve a God of second chances, that the word of the Lord comes to us uh, a second time, right? That we see this in this passage, right? I'm so thankful uh, for a God of second chances. And there may be some of you that are here today that the word of the Lord is going to come to a second time, that God in his power and in his goodness is going to uh, engage in a way uh, that you're going to know he's speaking to you today. And what we're going to see in this passage is that God desires repentance in response to his mercy and his grace. Now we pick up in Jonah chapter three, but we remember in Jonah chapter one that God said, go, and Jonah said, yeah, he was not having it, right? So God said, go, and Jonah said, no. And we find in that chapter that he found a boat at Joppa. There was a boat waiting at Joppa that was going the other way. And we said, hey, there's always a boat. Satan is crafty and there's always a boat going the other way, always ready to take us in the opposite direction. And so we see uh, just this encounter. We see the Lord hurl a storm, right? We see this wind. We see this, uh, this incredible picture, right, where it ends up in this place that these, uh, that these Gentile sailors, right, end up, end up throwing Jonah overboard. And he gets swallowed by the big fish. We see these sailors worshiping Yahweh at the end of this passage, right? And we see uh, them making sacrifices. We see them responding in the way that Jonah should respond. And then he's swallowed by the big fish. We see in chapter 2 this flowery prayer that Jonah prayed. And then the fish vomits him out, right? Remember the last time we were in Jonah, we talked about vomit. And we're not going to spend time there today. Some of you are grateful. But we see this picture, right, of of this fish that vomits Jonah out on dry land. And then here the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. And we hear the same words again. In verse 2 he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. So Jonah arose. So, and we're thinking, hey, this is moving in the right direction, like he like went this time. Scripture says he arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. So we see that it's this great city of three days walk. And we see in this passage that this is a city and the people there are important to God, that, that this is this exceedingly great city. Verse four, he says, then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk and he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be 
overthrown. So he says these eight words. He, he walks through, he proclaims these eight words. And if you notice in this passage, there's nothing that Jonah says about repentance. There's nothing here in that. We're reading in the book of Isaiah, we're reading the prophets as a church. So if you uh, want to jump in that, there's still time to do that. We're reading through the major prophets right now. And when we read in these prophets and when we read of others, the, the contemporaries of Jonah's time, what we see is that they would preach and they would say, judgment is coming. And they would call them to repent. Right? They would they would declare repentance. And so here's Jonah, and he says, Judgment is coming, and that's it. Because we're gonna see next week, Jonah was not desiring the result that took place. Now he's gone, he's going through the motions. But what we see in this passage is that he had missed the heart of God, right? And and God desires that his people obey from the heart. He desires genuine repentance. He desires something different than what we see in Jonah. 40 more days, he says, and Nineveh will be overthrown. The word in Hebrew for overthrown uh, that we see in this passage, it's interesting. And throughout the book of Jonah, there's different words that uh, are, are kind of play on words and there are different words that can have different meanings. And so here's this Hebrew word. And, and what's interesting is it can mean turnover or destroy, like what we see in Sodom. So we can see this, this destruction, a word that means that, but it's also a word that can mean turn around to bring repentance. Look at verse five and we'll see how the people of Nineveh responded. It says, then the people of Nineveh believed in God and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. So here we see this Gentile king, and he's responding the way the prophet of God should have responded. This Gentile king stands up when he hears the word of the Lord, right? If you remember in chapter 1, uh, Jonah is told in verse 2, he says, stand up. He says, arise and go, right? We see uh, a little later in that passage, it's verse 6 or 7, we see the, that he's found himself way down, right? He's gone down, down, down into uh, the bottom of the ship, and we see the captain come down, and he says, get up. Do you not know like what's going on? What have you done here? And then we see in chapter three, verse two, arise and go to Nineveh. But what we see in this passage is this Gentile king. He stands up when he hears the word of the Lord and he stands up without prompting. He's, he gets busy in that moment. He takes off his robe. And th this is a, a significant thing for a king. Uh, when a king would take off his robe, he was uh, signifying that there was a, another king, right? And so there's this picture of him surrendering, right? There's this picture of surrender to Yahweh as king. This Gentile king is responding the way Jonah should. He's got this humble repentance that he's displaying that should have been seen in Jonah. This sackcloth, right? We see that referred to. It, it's this picture of, of this coarse and uncomfortable cloth, and it expressed sorrow. It expressed uh, just this mourning, this lament, and, and it says this king uh, just sat down in the ashes, right? That he just, there's this humility, there's this reality, there's this repentance that's being displayed here. And you know, when I think about this, I hear, I see all this response. But Jonah's message was not really that moving, right? Jonah didn't have like this crafted crazy thing that he shared. There wasn't all these words and all these things, right? There wasn't all of these, uh, these things that he is saying. It really wasn't that moving. And what we see in this passage is that if we're going to thrive in the wild, the first thing I want you to see today is that thriving in the wild requires reliance. Thriving in the wild requires reliance. 
We, as the people of God, we rely on the Spirit of God to take the Word of God and accomplish the work of God. Our role is to proclaim it. See, that's our responsibility is to take the word of God. Scripture says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we have this responsibility to proclaim the word of God. And some of us say, you know what? I don't have flowery words. I don't have the right things to say. I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can do that. The reality is that the word of the Lord came to Jonah and said, go. And Jonah said, no. And the reality is that the word of the Lord has come to the church of Christ And it said, go. And the church many times has responded and said, no. That's the reality that we live in. And here we see just this this reality that Jonah's message was not all that, right? It wasn't this super eloquent message. I learned uh, in one of the most impactful moments of my ministry that it wasn't about me. It's about the word of God doing the work of God. We were gathered in this very room. It used to be a gymnasium that was here, and we were having an event called The Gathering, and Kane Matthews would put those events together and work, and we would most of the time invite speakers uh, to come and share. And on this particular gathering, Kane said, it's time for you to preach at the gathering. And so I had months of preparation. I had months to think about this moment where I would share with this group of students that would gather in this building. And I had prepared and I had prepared and I had prepared. And I like to make people laugh. I like to tell silly stories. I like to have those kind of things. That's my preferred uh, style of communication. I like to do that and then kind of lean in. And so I've prepared. I have all of these stories I'm going to tell. I have all these things that are, are, are just well together. I'm not going to have to look at a note. I mean, I've prepared this message. And about 30 minutes before that night, uh, I felt the word of the Lord, right, just in an incredible way, just convict my heart that I was not supposed to preach the passage that I was preaching that night. And it was clear. And I said, Lord, you know, like I've got all these stories. I've got all these things that I you know, I've worked on, Lord, you know that, I mean, like, it's going to be funny. And in my mind, I've thought, hey, this is going to be good. And anytime, like, that's not a good way for the preacher to think. Like, I get that. That's never a good posture, right? But that's how I was thinking that night. Like I said, this is going to be a good time. This is going to be fun. This is going to be good. And the Lord convicted my heart to go a completely different direction. And my heart stirred to John uh, chapter 8. And as I thought, I said, Lord, I, I don't, I haven't had time to prepare. I haven't had time to do anything. And I got up and I read the Word of God. And we talked about a story of a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery and naked and ashamed. She was brought in by the Pharisees and Sadducees, and she was drugged in before Jesus, right? And here's Jesus, and they're saying, you know what? The law says that we should stone this woman. What do you say? And Jesus looks at them, and he says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, the stones begin to drop. They begin to leave, and here is this woman face-to-face with Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus looks at her, and she lifts her head and looks, and he says, woman, where are your accusers? And Jesus looks at her, and he says, neither Do I condemn you either? But then he says some words that I believe penetrated hearts. He 
said, go and leave your life of sin. Go and sin no more. Well, that night there was a young lady. Her name was Kat Stewart. And we were set up about right here. And I shared that message as good as I could in that moment. And so many people responded that night to the gospel, right? God was saving people. And so many had gathered right about here. And there was a young girl that was weeping. And she knelt down right about here that night. She was broken and she was weeping. Scott Cummings was here and he was videoing uh, for us that night. And while all these people were over here, the camera just stayed centered on her for this entire time. I got to meet with her later. I got to talk with her. This was her Facebook post that night. It said, thank you, Lord, for giving your only son for us. I have been saved. Lord, you, thank you so much, Lord. You are truly amazing. And just a few months later, this became scribed on the front of her tombstone as she was killed in a car accident. I was reminded that the work of God comes through the word of God in we as followers of Jesus Christ are to be obedient in proclaiming the word. Isaiah 55 says that his word will not return void, that it will accomplish what he has sent it forth to do. And I'm reminded that salvation belongs to the Lord, that we are to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we, in obedience to the Lord, when God says go, that we go and we share the good news of, of the gospel, right? When Chris stood up here with his shirt, some of you probably said, you know what, I'm not going to wear a shirt like that. I don't want to wear a shirt like that. I don't know the words to say. Some of the reality is that we hear the word of the Lord, that Jesus has said go, and there are people that have looked and said no. We're going to walk in disobedience. We're going to walk in rebellion. We're going to walk in that. And the reality is that God has said go. And we as followers of Jesus Christ are to to respond in obedience to his command. Verse 7, we see this model of repentance that this king is going to give. He issues a proclamation. Scripture says this, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. Now, some of this we're thinking like, like the cows, like the beasts, like everybody. And then in the next verse, he's like, and put sackcloth on them all, like all of them. Look at this. This is, I want y'all to think about this like a cow. Can you imagine them? They're like wrapping them in sackcloth. He says, both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. No food. Like here's these cattle. Here are these beasts right in there. There's no food. They're in, wrapped in sackcloth and there's mooing. I can imagine like like just this echo of moves, like one starts right when they're hungry and it just continues to go. And here's this picture throughout the land of Nineveh. There's this moaning, there's this groaning, there's this mourning that is taking place. Men praying earnestly to God, calling on him earnestly in repentance that each might turn from their wicked ways. And they say, who knows? Verse nine, he says, who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. Thriving in the wild, it it requires a church to rely on God. It requires reliance, but it also requires repentance. Thriving in the wild requires repentance, and repentance results in a change of behavior. The Lexham Bible Dictionary, you'll see a, a definition, and it is this, that it's a change of attitude and action from sin in obedience to God, toward obedience to God. We see it in the, in the Greek and the Hebrew. We see a little bit of difference in the way some of that is uh, 
is described, but there's this emphasis on the right behavior, and that's consistent throughout. In the Greek, we see this word metanoia, and in the, in the roots of those, the, there's this root, the, the last part of that word uh, refers to the mind, and then meta is uh, an, uh, the word after or, or an after uh, change. So there's this thought that it's the mind after, right after our salvation, after we uh, surrender our lives to Christ. We see that there's this change of mind, right? We see in the scriptures that we repent of our sin, that there's this change of mind that results in a change of direction. And here's the picture of salvation. We turn from our sin and we're going one direction and we turn and there's a direction. And here's the reality. It's not just this direction that changes for a moment, but it's this direction that changes for the rest of our life as we follow Jesus, as we turn from our sin and as we walk in him. Verse 10, it says this. This is how God responds to repentance. Look at this. Verse 10, it says, when God saw their deeds. Listen, he didn't just hear uh, fancy words that came out of their lips. He didn't see those kind of things. The scripture says, when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity that which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Here's the reality. God is not looking for people forced to say, I'm sorry. God is not looking in that kind of thing, people that are sorry that they got caught. God is looking for people with deep sorrow, convicted by the Spirit of God for their sin, and the Spirit of God takes the Word of God, and it pierces the heart of people. And they respond in repentance. The scripture says that he saw their deeds. There was a change in direction. It wasn't enough just to wear sackcloth. It wasn't enough uh, just to do those kind of things, right? We would see the prophet say it's, it's not enough to tear your garments, but rend also your heart, right? We see that repentance in this passage, repentance is required, right? Repentance and surrender are required to be saved. You can't turn to Jesus without turning from sin. This is the reality of our response to the gospel. Salvation is not a fire insurance prayer. Salvation is not simply us uh, repeating words of a prayer. Right? We see that. We saw that in Debbie's story. She said, you know what? There was a moment in life where I repeated the words of this prayer, uh, but there was no change in her life. In my life, I was a young man, and I heard the gospel, 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, that old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. And I recognize in those moments that there had never been a change in my life. And the reality is that if there's no change, there is no Christ. Now, we are not going to be perfect. We still struggle. We still walk in those things. But salvation is not repeating the words of a prayer, but it is Jesus becoming Lord and Savior of our life. Surrender and repentance. See, being born again is a result of repentance and faith. It is a result of truth trust in Jesus. That's what surrender is. That's what, that's what faith is, right? We believe in Jesus so much that we surrender our life to him. We trust him with everything, right? It is our response to the gracious gift of salvation, to the, to the gospel, is that we repent and we surrender our lives. See, repentance and surrender are required to be saved. And I want you to know something else. Repentance and surrender are required because we are saved. See, repentance is not a one-time experience, but it is a way of life. It is a change in direction that we continue to pursue God. And, and, and along that journey, there are moments that we, uh, that we drift. There are moments that we, that we sin, and we continue to respond in repentance. The scripture says if we confess our sin, right, as the Spirit of God convicts us of sin, we confess our sin. First John 1 John 1.9 says we, uh, if we confess our sin, that we have a God who is faithful and just, right? And when we come in repentance, let me tell you, we're not wanting justice. When we come in repentance, we're understanding what justice would look like. And that's the very wrath of God that 
that we deserve. We are coming and we look for mercy, right? And we say, perhaps God will relent, right? Perhaps we are in this place. We come knowing and convicted of our sin. J.I. Packer says it this way, repentance means turning from as much as you know of your sin to give as much as you know of yourself to as much as you know of your God. And as our knowledge grows at these three points, so our practice of repentance has to be enlarged. So here's this reality. God desires obedience from the heart. And I don't know the stories of every person in this room, but God may be speaking to you. I'm not asking you today if you have repeated a prayer after a preacher at some point in your life. I'm asking you if you have surrendered your life to Christ and repented of your sin. Because that's what the scripture says is, uh, is salvation, right? That we respond to God's gracious gift right into the drawing of his spirit. And we respond in repentance and surrender. We respond in that way. Right in Matthew 7, we read that there are going to be many, right, that come before the Lord one day. He said, many will say to me in that day, did I not do all these things in your name? Did I not prophesy? Did I not cast out demons? Did I not do all these things? And Jesus is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. See, the reality is that there is nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. There's no works that we can do. Being in church doesn't do it. Teaching Sunday school, standing up here in, pul- in a pulpit, none of those things uh, earn our way into heaven. It is a response to the gracious gift of Christ. It is a response uh, to, to his mercy and grace that's been extended to us in the cross of Christ and we respond in repentance and surrender and we're born again we're born from above we are born into the family of God and there's something beautiful God takes the word of God scripture says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God God takes the word of God empowered by the spirit of God and it pierces the hearts of people and they respond in repentance and surrender and they are changed forever Dice Debbie said hey that day when I knelt on my knees and I surrendered my life to Christ that he gave me a new heart that he gave me a new desire that he set within me this desire to please him and to live for him and there's a change right it is only through Christ in us there's nothing we can do in our own strength but it is not but Christ in us and we respond in that way and so I want to invite you today if you've never trusted Jesus if you've never responded in repentance and surrender uh, to the to the merciful gift of God right into his gracious in repentance of our sin repentance of our own way I want to invite you to do that if you're here and you say you know what I know that I've been saved I've turned from my sin I've trusted Jesus I've surrendered my life but honestly I'm walking in disobedience the word of the Lord comes to me and says Jason go and I say no the word of the Lord comes and says you know what you need to knock off uh, this sin that's so uh, tangled up in your life the things that you're allowing in those things that are there if you're saved and you are walking and choosing sin over obedience to God then our response is repentance if you are saved and you are choosing not to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we need to repent and we need to walk in obedience to our God. He uses his people sharing his word in the power of his spirit to change the world. And the reality is that in our very lives in this room, God may be working on the king of Nineveh in our circle of influence. God may be working. We have no idea what he's doing. There are people in all of our lives that we look at and we say, there's no way that that person would respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, the entire time that I was in high school, the entire time uh, that I was a student, I think about you young people that are in this room. I was a football player. I did all these different things. I was maybe one of the world's best cussers, right? There was a lot of things that I did, but you know, not once was I ever invited to an event. Not once was I ever invited to church. Not once did anyone ever share the good news of the gospel with me because they probably looked at me and said I was too far gone. Let's let God be the judge of that and let's walk in obedience. Let's walk in obedience and declare the good news of his grace. So here's our role. We pray. We're reliant on God. 
we proclaim and we repeat the process. We walk in obedience. If God answered every prayer in this room from this week, if we were able to compile all the prayers of every person that's gathered here, that's in our online campus, that, that are connected in this moment, if we were able to compile all those prayers and God answered everyone in this moment, how many more people would be added into the kingdom of God this Sunday? How many more people would know Jesus, right? How many more people would have repented of their sin and trusted Christ? How many more people would be gathered in our midst this morning? And it's time that God's people, that we respond uh, to uh, God's gift of salvation, that we respond to his grace and mercy in our life by relying on him, by living living our lives in utter and complete dependence by repenting of our sin, by living in repentance, by walking and desiring to be obedient to him. I want to invite you this morning to respond as God leads you. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. The band's going to come. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going uh, to worship. And it's my prayer that the word of the Lord might come to us a second time or a 50th time or however many times that is. God, we're so grateful, Lord, that you are a God of second chances, Lord, that you are a God who is rich in mercy. And Lord, we are desperate for your mercy and your grace. And God, we pray, Lord, that this morning, God, that your spirit might convict hearts in this room. God, that you might call us to repentance, Lord, those of us that are followers of Jesus, Lord, that you might, God, that you might cause us to, to have open hands, Lord, that we might walk in surrender. God, that we might go where you would send us, Lord, that we might turn uh, from the sin that so easily besets us, Lord, that we might lay aside this morning every weight, God, every hindrance to us, every hindrance to us proclaiming the good news of the gospel, Lord, every hindrance uh, to living and thriving in the midst of this broken world, Lord, that we would lay those things down, God, and that we would live open-handed to you, Lord, that we would walk in your ways, Lord, that we would be obedient to your command. And Lord, I pray, God, for those in this room, Lord. God, I pray, Lord, right now, God, that you would cause every heart to examine themselves. As the Apostle Paul wrote, examine yourselves as to whether you be of the faith. I pray this morning, God, that we would examine ourselves, Lord, and that the power of your Spirit might convict us. Lord, if, if there's any here that have never surrendered their life to you and repented of their sin, God, I pray that this morning, that today would be the day of salvation, Lord, that your kindness, Lord, would lead them to repentance. Lord, your mercy, your grace. God, we declare, Lord, we know that there's nothing that we could do to earn our salvation, that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, Lord, that we are saved. That it is through the word of God alone, Lord, to the glory of God alone. Now, that's the only way that we are born again. And Lord, we pray, God, that your grace would be poured out on this place. God, I can remember the moment. Lord, I've been in church a long time. And the word of the Lord came as the, as the proclamation of your word was declared. And I recognized that there had been no change in my life. That I'd never surrendered my life to you. And God, that day my life changed. God, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would convict, God, that there might not be a person in here. But God, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, God, I pray today would be the day of salvation, that they would, in humility, surrender themselves to you. God, that they would repent and turn. God, that you would give us a new heart. Jesus, we love you. We pray for your work to happen in this place. And may we respond in bold obedience. 
Lord, may we not be like Jonah, Lord, but may we be like the king of Nineveh, Lord, who would stand and arise, Lord, who would, God, in response, Lord, to your message, Lord, without prompting, without all those things, Lord, that we would just respond in humility and repentance. God, change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand? Be obedient this morning if God speaks to your heart. You may need to pray for a loved one. You may need to come in repentance to Him. You may need to come and surrender your life to Him. If God's speaking to you, be obedient this morning. Don't delay.